so much, Hannah. All right, we're going to look in Job chapter 22. Um, Job chapter 22, I want to share a lesson tonight, just considering uh, can I be used by God? And uh, many people struggle with that thought, that concept. They're really pursuing and trying to identify with the will of God for their life. Many times people don't think they can be used by the Lord. Uh, and uh, certainly that's a question that is uh, presented to Job in Job chapter 22. It says, Then Eliphaz the Tinmite uh, answered and said, Can a man be profitable unto God, as he that is wise may be profitable unto himself? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that thou art righteous, or is it gain to him that thou makest thy ways perfect? Will he reprove thee for fear of thee? Will he enter in with thee into judgment? Is not thy wickedness great and thine iniquities infinite? For thou hast taken a pledge from thy brother for naught and stripped the naked of their clothing. Thou hast not given water to the weary to drink and thou hast withholden bread from the hungry. But as for the mighty man, he had the earth and the honorable man dwelt in it. And so certainly uh, verse 2 is our text verse. says, Can a man be profitable unto God as he that is wise may be profitable unto himself? Friends of Job pretty much were in agreement. I remember years ago I went through the whole book of Job. Enjoyed doing that. But it's just interesting that friends of Job just did not get it. They did not understand why Job suffered like he did and why he went through what he went through. They pretty much were all in agreement that Job was simply a sinner and any way that he had uh, the uh, served God in any capacity whatsoever, he was just simply doing it to get God's blessings. And so they complete, completely missed the whole reality of what was going on in Job's life. Eliphaz now is once again speaking to Job, and as he's approaching Job, he's approaching him from the perspective that Job's righteousness uh, did not do uh, God any good whatsoever. Notice in verse 3, he says, Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that thou art righteous, or is it, to gain, uh, is it gain to him that thou makest thy ways perfect. He's just asking Job, does God really benefit from your righteousness? And uh, really his condescending spirit upon uh, Job is in reference to Job, you just think you're good and you think you're righteous, but do you think God really needs that? Do you think God, God's responding to that? Uh, are you any good to God whatsoever? And oftentimes people feel though that they're not good enough. Uh, they can't do enough good things to be righteous enough to be used of God. And that's kind of the approach of Eliphaz here as he's confronting Job. But also in verse 4, uh, he says, Will he reprove thee for fear of thee? Will he enter in with thee in the judgment? He's just wanting to know, is God moved from with fear to, to bless you? Is God moved with fear uh, to uh, uh, reward you? And so uh, can you actually be profitable on the God when God really does? He's basically saying God doesn't care about you because you're just constantly trying to appease God and get his blessings. 
And then he says in verse 5 through 7 that God sees your iniquity. He says, is not thy wickedness great and thine uh, iniquities infinite? You know, just think of Job in the condition that he's in. He's lost everything. He's lost his children. Uh, he's lost his health. He's lost his wealth. He's lost everything there is. Uh, this fellow is really being an encouragement to him. Amen. As it is not thy wickedness great and thy iniquities infinite. For thou hast taken a pledge from thy brother for naught and stripped the naked of their clothing. Thou hast not given water to the weary to drink. And thou hast withholding bread from the hungry. I mean, he's just ripping Job apart. And uh, But I want to focus in on just that verse 2, the whole foundation of this conversation that Eliphaz is having with Job is in reference just asking him, can a man be profitable unto God? Can I be used of God? Job, can you be used by God? Are you profitable to the Lord? And oftentimes people's conclusion is just simply uh, that we just cannot because... Whatever the excuse may be, it may be I'm too young, it may be I'm too old, maybe I'm too rich, maybe too I'm too poor, it may be I'm too busy, it may be well I just am not busy enough and I don't have enough opportunities to be able to serve the Lord. You put it in people. What 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 people state in reference to why they feel that they cannot be used of God. I know when I felt God called me to preach, I struggled with that concept. Can God use me? Because I thought about, well, I was an alcoholic. I smoked three packs of cigarettes. I cussed. I got tattoo on my arm. I, got, I mean, all these things the devil was bringing to my mind of things that uh, the devil would say, so you can't, use God, you can't serve God. You can't be used by God because X, Y, and Z. And Job is really has to answer this question, can a man be profitable unto God? Can I be used of God? And uh, I just really believe with all my heart that God can use each one of us in a great way. We're going to be doing this series on the church in Sunday school. And I was working on my Sunday school lesson this morning, and I was just going through a couple of the points that I put in there was that there literally is something that every one of us can do in the body of Christ. You know, you might not be able to teach, may not be able to preach, may not be able to sing, but you can pray. Uh, you can reach out and, and be an encouragement to someone else. Uh, you can uh, be involved in nursing home ministry, bus ministry, whatever, the, whatever area you're gifted in. God can use you in a great way if we'll just allow ourselves to be uh, surrendered to him and know that there's joy in serving Jesus. So, uh, can I be used of God? First of all, I just thought of this, just some still some introductory notes. That first blank you have there is encouragers. We need encouragers. Every one of us can be an encourager. And uh, rather than looking for the negative in life and looking at negative things in a person's life, why don't we just look for the positive things and be an encouragement to someone else? 1 Samuel 23 and verse 15 says, David saw that Saul was come out of to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And when David was low and David was being pursued and David's life was in danger, Jonathan would come alongside of him 
and be an encourager. It's an interesting thing when you get in the book of Acts. You have Barnabas that was with the apostle Paul, but he became a real encourager to John Mark. And Barnabas means encourager. And uh, he really came alongside of John Mark and, and strengthened him and helped him. And so every one of us can be an encouragement. John Maxwell said this, everyone has the potential to become an encourager. Uh, you don't have to be rich. Uh, you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to have uh, it all together. All you have to do is care about people and initiate. Do something. Say something to somebody. Just be an encourager to you. You say, well, they just really, uh, well, they're just not going to respond. You know, it's interesting that if you just, you just say, hey, that was a great job. You know, I really appreciate you. I mean, you don't have to say a lot. You don't have to give a master degree dissertation paper on it. All you got to do is just be willing to reach out to someone and say, hey, you know what, I really appreciate your life. And uh, sometimes we just don't see ourselves in that role. And what happens, there's multi, you don't understand how bad people are hurting. And, and sometimes you say, well, I don't really, they're okay. They got it together. The person who you think has it together is the one who is most desperately in need of somebody just to encourage him. And so we can strive to be an encourager. And uh, why? Because God can use us in that capacity. Not only that, but ministers. The next blank there on your page is ministers. And I don't mean like a paid vocation of being a pastor or something like that. Ministers are nothing more than someone serving or helping someone else. In Ezra chapter 8 and verse 17 it says, And they should bring unto us ministers for the house of our Lord, and by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding. And so God will bring people into our lives that will help us and minister to us. But then there's those of you that can be ministers and serving uh, to others. And people need that someone coming alongside of them and helping them and the body of Christ. And, and you can be that minister that helps someone else. A.W. Tozer said this, Let every man abide in his calling wherein he is called and his work will be as sacred as the work of the ministry. It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It's why he does it. And so if we'll take an each day look at ourselves and look at what God's called us to do and what he's equipped us to be, uh, we'll be able to see in that environment how we can be a help and encouragement to someone else. I remember years ago, I was witnessing that fellow was a Jehovah Witness, and he needed an engine in his car. I told him, I said, I can put an engine in a car. He said, you can. I said, sure. He, I was witnessing to him. He was witnessing me. He was trying to get me to be a Jehovah Witness. He couldn't believe a Baptist actually went door-to-door -door soul winning. And he said, man, you make a good Jehovah Witness. I said, no, I wouldn't. And no, uh, <laughs> he needed an engine, so I, I took my van, and we went and got an engine for him and brought it back and pulled the thing out underneath the tree in my backyard, pulled the engine out, pulled the other engine in there. I, it took us about eight, nine hours to do it. And the whole time, what I was I doing? I was witnessing to him, trying to lead him to Christ. And uh, how was I doing it? By being a minister to him, by serving him 
and helping him to be able to get his car on the road. So if we understand why we're doing what we're doing, rather than trying to figure out what it is that we're doing, we realize the why is that we're ministering to others. I mean, it gives us a whole different perspective in life. And so can a man be used of God? Absolutely. He can be used to be an encourager. He can be used to be a minister unto others. Then I thought of leaders. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 18 it says, Then I told them of the good hand of my God which was upon me, was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. And uh, leaders are just people who can uh, stir other people, be an example to them, share with them what God has laid on their hearts, and then direct them and help them to get into the Lord's work. We know the wall around Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt. Nehemiah was the one that would initiate that opportunity to do that. And uh, he motivated others uh, to get involved in the work of the ministry and restoring the wall. Charles Stanley said this, your potential is the sum of all the possibilities God has for your life. People say, well, I, just, I don't, just don't see that taking place in my life. Realize your potential is all these opportunities, everything that God has brought in your life. God has so directed those to be in your life to prepare you for what he wants to do, enabling you to direct others and lead others. You know, I realized this when I first got involved in soul winning. I was scared to death to be a witness to people because I thought of this. They're going to ask me a question and I'm not going to know the answer. And so I was scared to death to talk to people. I did all kinds of things. I had verses marked in my Bible. I had verses underlined and wrote number one. And then I had a cross-reference on there to go to number two. And so I'd go to that one so I'd know how to turn from one to the other. I had a ready reference in the front of my Bible, taped in the front, so I could open it up. And I mean, it covered every kind of topic you can imagine. And I, I found this. I just simply found this, that... No matter how much you know or how much you don't know, the person you're going to talk to and try to minister and lead to Christ are people that do not know what you know. So don't be afraid to share what you know. If it's only one verse, that's okay. Memorize a good one. Amen. And uh, lead them in the paths of righteousness. Lead them to faith in Christ. And uh, the possibilities that God gives you in your life gives you so much potential to be able to lead others. There is someone you are leading and someone you can lead. So there's leaders that are necessary. Can God use me? Yes. Can he use you? Yes. He can use you to be a leader. And then I thought of the next blank was just simply this, workers. In Ecclesiastes 2.24 says, There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should uh, make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. So enjoy what you're doing. My dad used to say years ago, working's okay if you enjoy what you're doing. And I really appreciate it. We worked hard on the farm. We got up in the 5 o'clock every morning, and we worked at 8, 9 o'clock at night. And uh, we worked hard. But my dad always said this, you know, you got to make work fun. 
And uh, you know, whenever what we were doing, we made it fun. If we were driving cows, uh, driving tractors, or whatever it was going on, it was kind of hard to figure out how to make shoveling manure fun. But that <laughs> we we just made things fun. And my dad always said this. He said, "You know, we work hard. That means we're going to play hard." And uh, he said that when I work, everybody works. And when I play, everybody plays. And I mean, and that's the way we lived. That's the way we, we enjoyed our life and the work that God gave to us. And Ecclesiastes is right. I mean, enjoy the work that God gives you to do. Enjoy the opportunities that God gives you to minister. Enjoy the leadership that God provides in your life. Enjoy encouraging others in Christ. Bill, uh, David Livingstone said this, fear God and work hard. It's just simple, that simple. Oh, uh, Billy Graham said this, read the Bible, work hard in honesty, and uh, don't complain. <laughs> so you can enjoy your life. You really can. You can come to a point of understanding, yes, God can use me. And so rejoice in the fact that God can use you. So let's think of some people where God used, that were uh, unlikely candidates to be used by God. First of all, we see the hesitation of Moses. And all the way back in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 3, when God's calling Moses to go bring the children of Israel out. In uh, chapter 3 and verse 11, it says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. You know, the problem with Moses, his hesitation uh, to be used of God was just he had a poor view of himself. He, he's just, who am I? I got to go before Pharaoh. And I remember when uh, we were candidating, when I was candidating to come to be the pre uh, pastor here, and uh, I, just, I just remember my wife, I told my wife, I said, you know, I set my resume up and said, this will be a real joke. <laughs> Those people ain't going to want me to come up here and be their pastor. And I said to this mom, I said, I just, I just don't see myself being up there. These people are smart people. These people are business people. <laughs> These people got it together. I mean, that's Ocean County Baptist Church. I'm telling you, that's how I felt. And I, I had a poor view of myself. And I just committed myself to the Lord and said, well, God, if you want me there, you've got to make it happen uh, because I can't make it happen. And well, the Lord brought us here, we've been here for 23 years. So get over the poor view of yourself. Stop looking yourself in negative light when God has something positive he wants to do in your life. And don't hesitate when God opens a door to move ahead Realize this, you're the one that he's chosen for that task at that very moment, and it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how strong Pharaoh is. It doesn't matter how much money Pharaoh has. It doesn't matter how strong his armies are. It doesn't matter, Moses, because I've called you, and I'm going to be with you, and I'll empower you. So stop having a poor image of yourself. So a poor view of self will cause you to hesitate. Notice uh, there was a passionate plea of sincerity. Moses wasn't trying to be dis disrespectful. But in uh, chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And uh, God was just wanting to, Moses to know 
that just as he was with him on the backside of the desert in Midian, uh, that God was going to be with him when he came into stand before uh, Pharaoh. God is very passionate, compassionate about his longing to use Moses. And I've found this over the years that God has a passionate plea to us. Jesus says, I love it when you hear it, Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor. That's a passionate plea. It's just, it's not, Jesus didn't say that, well, if you feel like coming over and talking to me, come on over. No, it was a passionate plea. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. All that come unto me, I will no wise cast out. That's a passionate plea that God has to us to surrender to his call in our life and uh, whatever role that may be. But there's also a powerful demonstration of God's sovereignty in chapter 4 of Exodus. In uh, verse 29, And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, and Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses. And he did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. I mean, there was a powerful demonstration that God was in control of what was going on. And uh, certainly Moses uh, was hesitant to follow the leading of God and respond to the call of God. But God showed just how powerful he was and what he was able to do. I'm doing a discipleship with a young man right now. And, uh, and I was sharing some things about studying the word of God the other day with him. And I told him this. I said, look, I realize this. No matter what passage of scripture that you are reading, no matter what event in the Bible you're studying, no matter what, who the individual is that you're trying to understand, if you don't come away from the passage with a view of who God is, you have failed in your study. God doesn't record all these things and what's going on in Moses' life or what's going on in Gideon's life, just that we can learn about Gideon or about Moses God reveals to us these stories because he wants us to know who he is. And every time we study the word of God, we need to come away with a sense of knowing who God is and what he can do in our life. Moses had a poor view of himself, but God was passionately calling him to follow his leading that he might bring the children of Israel out of bondage. And when Moses walks away from it, he walks away with a knowledge of how powerful God is in his sovereignty and in his control of all things. And when we, listen, when we study the word of God, when we come to a place where we understand who God is, we walk away uh, with a renewed zeal and fire to know that God can use us because it's not about us. It's about the God who's working in our life. So Moses, don't hesitate. Well, fear, there's a fear of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. And in verse 11, tells us, And there came the angel of the Lord and sat under the oak, which uh, was in Orpha, and that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gibeon, 
thresh wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. I mean, Gideon is not very uh, zealous here about making it public of what he's doing. The Midianites were ravishing the land. They were stealing from the Jews. And, and uh, Gideon was fearful of being attacked and his, his, uh, his fruit, his grain being uh, captured by the Midianites. So we see, first of all, the conscious, Gideon had to have a conscious, had to be conscious of God's person. In uh, chapter tw- 6 and verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now, if God's going to be able to use Gideon, Gideon needs to be aware of who God is. And God comes to him and speaks to him in reference to his acknowledging who he is. He can't have a poor view of himself because God has already said, thou mighty man of power. And so he's going to know who his God is, a conscious awareness. In verse 14, the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And so he is aware of what he is going to do and what he'll be able to accomplish is not about himself. He's fearful. He's hiding. But God said, go, and I'm going to go with you. And when I go with you, I'm going to give the Midianites into your hand. And so he was conscious of the person of God. He was confident of God's power. Because in Judges chapter 6 and verse 15, and he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manassas, and I am the least in my father's house. I mean, he said, I'm at the bottom of the barrel here. There's no one lower than I am. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. He had to be confident in God's power. If you know who God is, you can be assured of the fact that he is strong enough to take care of you. Is, is your God big enough to take care of what it is you're facing right now? Is your God big enough and strong enough to overcome those things that are defeating you right now? And Gideon had to learn that, wait a minute, I can have confidence in God's power. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And so confident of God's power. Then he was committed to God's plan. Now we know the story as you go through the chapters, how the army Gideon had was too large and God whittles it down. And Judges chapter 7 and verse 6 says, And the number of them that lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, were 300 men. But of all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thy hand, and let all the other people go, every man, unto his place. Now that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Uh, the Midianite army was huge. They were powerful. They had weapons that were stronger and greater than what Gideon and, and the people of Israel had. But God said, you have too many people, so whittle it down. And listen, I'm going to give them into your hand with just 300 warriors to go with you. And so what did Gideon do? Did he say, well, wait a minute. You know what? God, I appreciate that, but I think I need to have some reserves. No, Gideon stuck with the plan. And may I say this, stick with the plan. 
God has a plan. God has a purpose for the church. He has a plan and a purpose for our lives personally. And so stick with the plan that God has for you and allow him to show himself mighty and true and strong. As a result of Moses committing himself to the Lord, he brought the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. Because of Gideon staying with the plan that God revealed to him, he was able to smite the Midianites and bring victory uh, once again to Israel. So God's plans work. So just allow God to use you. God can use someone who's willing to trust God with the details of his life. God can take care of that. Then I thought of David. I thought of the frailty of David. We all know the story of David, and we know, first of all, that David, as a young lad, the children of Israel are standing and fighting against the Philistines, and as a young lad, he came <clears throat> to see what was going on at the battle. And so David, as a young man, was mocked. As a lad, he was mocked. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 28, and Eliab, his eldest brother, heard what he spake unto the men in Eliab's Anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why comest thou down hither? And whom hast sent, I'm sorry, who hast thou left those, uh, well, I'm sorry, uh, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, that thou art come down that thou mayest see the battle. He was being mocked by his brother. He has been ridiculed by his brother uh, because of the fact that uh, well, he was jealous of him and he came down here. His brothers have been hiding. They haven't had the boldness. They haven't had the faith to believe. They haven't had the courage to stand against Goliath. But now here is young David as a lad coming down and uh, he's being mocked and ridiculed. You know, sometimes when you want to do something for God, people are going to laugh at you. They're going to mock you. Uh, they're going to make fun of you. They're going to say, yeah, sure. And I remember my wife and I got saved. We felt God calling me in the ministry. I'm going to tell you, my family was brutal. I mean, they were brutal with us. It was back when Jim Jones was had, had committed all that uh, suicide down in Johannesburg and everything else. And, man, we called us the Kool-Aid kids. My brother-in-law would wear sunglasses and say, hey, where's the Kool-Aid? Yeah, you know, and all this, that, and the other. They mocked us made fun of us. I said, I'm going to go to Bible college. Well, where are you going to live? I don't know. Where, well, how are you going to live? What job do you have? I don't have a job. I'm just trusting God and mock and laugh and ridicule us. And I'm going to tell you, it was brutal. But wait a minute. When you're frail in the reality of who you are, you can trust a living God to do something miraculous in your life. David was being mocked as a young lad. As a warrior... When he got into battles and he started having great victories, he was envied. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7, it says, The women answered one another as he played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they ascribe but thousands. And what can ye, he have more than the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Jealousy, envy. And uh, listen, you have to be careful that when 
you see God blessing someone else, don't get jealous of them and envy them. Uh, certainly when somebody feels God's calling them to do something for his glory, don't mock them. And uh, I just know that many times, many times, when God starts to move and bless in someone's life after someone has been ridiculing them, they have a tendency to be jealous and envious. And so what happened? Well, as a man, David was uh, tempted. We know in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 through 4, we know the story there. We know that he gazes down on Bathsheba and he commits adultery with her. And he not just commits adultery, he commits murder. And uh, so each stage of David's life, you see problems that are developing in his life that you could say, well, wait a minute, he can't do something for God. Uh, God knows the iniquity of your heart. You know, you just came down here in pride to see what was going on with the battle. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you, people are uh, puffing you up and, and, and bringing glory and accolades on you. I, I despise you. I envy you. I'm jealous of you. Oh, David, you are tempted of sin and you fell into sin. You committed adultery. You, you murdered a, a man, took his life away from you. But wait a minute, David, you still was a man said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, who shall, so full, full, shall fulfill all my will. Can, can I be used of God? Absolutely. God used David in a powerful way with all of his frailty. You say, I'm just weak. I'm not very strong. I, I really don't have it all together. That's all right. It's not about you anyway. It's about the God who wants to use you. And so the frailty of David. And then I thought about the surrender of the apostles in the New Testament. I read this quote I thought was good. God is looking for ordinary people with extraordinary desires. Not extraordinary talents and gifts. Because he's the one that gives us our gifts and talents. He's just looking for ordinary people that have a desire to live for him. Delight thyself in the Lord. And he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. And I just am thankful that over the years I've been able to watch God literally give me the desires of my heart. When I surrendered to full-time ministry and I said, God, this is what I want to do. And this is what I want to accomplish. I told a couple of people, I said, I feel God's called me to preach. I, want, I believe God wants me to plant a church. I believe God wants me to pastor a church. I believe that God wants me to start a bus ministry. I believe that God wants me to start a Christian school. I believe that God... Now listen, I just got saved. I was only saved three months. And God's laying all that on my heart. And, and people laughed and mocked me. Uh, they said, yeah, right. You know, uh, we'll see that. Wait a minute. That was the desires of my heart. But I'm going to tell you, every desire of my heart, God has given me. To light thyself in the Lord. And he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. And so be willing to leave all behind. Leave all. Mark chapter 1 and verse 17. Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you fisher, uh, to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. There was no hesitation. There was no delay. There was no argument. Uh, there was no rejection. They just simply said, okay, Lord, we'll follow you. He said, follow me, and I'm going to make you. I'm going to help you become fishers of men. And they just left everything. 
and went after him. So give your life over to the Lord. Be willing to trust God with all the details in your life. And uh, it'll be an amazing thing to watch how the Lord can uh, be glorified in you as you surrender everything to him. And uh, so be willing to leave all. Uh, be willing to confront all. In Acts chapter 5, we know of Ananias Sapphira. Uh, we saw in Acts chapter 4, uh, they were, had all things common. Different ones were selling their lands and bringing them to the, the money to the apostles. And everybody's needs were being met in the early church in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira uh, sell their property and they agree to sell it for a certain amount of money. And then they kept back a certain part of the money. It wasn't that they kept back the money. They had already proclaimed that they were going to give everything to the Lord. And uh, Peter confronts them. In uh, chapter 5 and verse 3, Peter said to Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? And that's why Ecclesiastes 5 says, When thou vowest a vow, see to it, thou keepest it. And then in verse 4, it says, Whiles it remained, was it not thy own? After it was sold, was it not thy own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. The amazing thing is, the early apostles were willing to confront what was wrong. And uh, because they were willing to, to leave all and they were willing to confront all, God used them in a great way for the early church to be planted and started and evangelizing and literally turning the city of Jerusalem upside down with their doctrine. And that's the next point. They were willing to hold the doctrine. They didn't impart from the truths that were in the word of God. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 10 there was a great controversy among some of the believers about whether they were saved by circumcision. Uh, the Jewish believers believed you need to be circumcised. Uh, the Gentile believers did not believe you need to be circumcised. They were trying to institute this work salvation. And there's the first church council in the early churches in Acts chapter 15. In Acts 15 and verse 10 says, now therefore, why, Peter is talking to them, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? And here it is. But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. They held to the doctrine of salvation, which is through grace of God and not through the works of man. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, neither uh, whether by word or our epistle. And so the surrender of the apostles were to leave it all, confront it all, and to hold to it all. Amen. And uh, we don't want to give turn our back on those things. Why? Because the question comes, can a man be profitable unto God? A man cannot be profitable unto God in of his own abilities, but a man who surrenders it all to the Lord 
now can be used in a great way by God because now man doesn't get the glory, God gets the glory. And so don't hesitate to say, Lord, hear my, send me. Don't hesitate to say, Lord, what is it that you would have me to do? Uh, don't hesitate. Uh, if God lays someone on your heart to speak to or to be an encouragement or to, or to visit, uh, listen, don't hesitate. Go. You say, well, I don't think I can really be a help. You never know how God's going to use you to be a help to someone else if you just will go. I remember years ago, I learned this lesson. I, years ago, I uh, had someone um, in the church here, and their relative, was a distant relative, was literally dying. And they wanted me to go see them. And I said, sure, I'll go see them. And I got busy all week long. I was running around. And so... Uh, Oh, I saw him on Sunday, and I said, look, uh, by the way, uh, so-and-so uh, still in the hospital. I'm going to make sure I'm going to go see him this week. And the fellow told me, he said, don't worry about it, Pastor. You don't need to go see him. He died the other day. And the fellow, I, I appreciate this bluntness. He, was not, he, he, he didn't let me off the hook. He wasn't gracious towards me for neglecting to go visit a relative who was lost. And it taught, God taught me a lesson through that. That when God opens the door of opportunity, seize the opportunity. Whether you feel like you're able to do something or not, it is you that God is opening the door to. And it is God who's going to work his will and, and be used, uh, use you in a great way for his glory. And uh, from that time on, I'll tell you, I just, it's been on, pressed on my heart that when God lays it on my heart, uh, I don't care what I'm doing, I got to do it. I got to go there. And I remember just, you know, Mary Downey went home to be with the Lord a few months ago. And I remember we had a bunch of stuff going on here. And it was like God just impressed on my heart. You need to go see her. And you need to go see her now. And I just put everything aside and I went up to the hospital to see her. And I was up in Newark, I think it was, and wherever. And I went up there to see her. And we just had a good time together, talking to her, reading scripture, praying with her, and this, that, and the other. And the, that, that night, she went home to be with the Lord. Now, what, what, if, what if I didn't go up there to be with her when God impressed on my heart? When God opened the door? What, what if I said, well, I can't really be used of God today. I got this to do, that to do. I got all this stuff to get done God would not have been glorified. God would not have been, his name would not have been lifted up. Family members would not have been encouraged. I'm just saying this, don't fall to the devil's lie that you can't be used by God. Because whatever the capacity is, prayer warrior, visitor, encourager, whatever it is, God can use you but we just need to be like a Moses. We need to be like Gideon. We need to be like the, the apostles. We just need to be willing to say, Lord, here it is. You show me what you want me to do, and I'll not question it. I'll walk through the door of opportunity that you bring into my life. And so I hope that was a blessing to you tonight. I hope it's a challenge to you uh, that you can be used by God.